Welcome to the Awakening Church Podcast. We pray this message encourages you and provides the hope and light of Jesus Christ. Thanks for tuning in. Well, today we're kicking off a new series called Keep It Simple. Keep It Simple, a guide to financial peace. And I bet most of you are familiar with the KISS principle, yeah? This means yes, this means no. The KISS principle is keep it simple. I just made you say stupid in church. (laughs) But keep it simple, stupid. Like, keep it simple. And that's what we want to talk about. Like, uh, what does, you know, how do you discover and experience financial peace? And specifically, what if the pathway to financial peace is actually simple? What if it's not complicated? What if it isn't just this kind of elusive carrot on the end of the stick that you're always kind of searching after, trying to somehow get, but you can never quite arrive? What if there is some simple practices that you could embrace today that would then, in return, help cultivate financial peace in your life? That's what we're going to spend the next three weeks talking about Like, how do you experience financial peace? Now, the reality is, is we all live in the um, Silicon Valley. And this is what you're thinking, because I know it's how I would be thinking. Is it even really possible to experience financial peace in the Silicon Valley? We don't experience financial peace. We experience financial peace pressure. Amen. It just feels like the most expensive place on the planet to live. It doesn't just feel that way. It pretty much is. And so is it even possible in the midst of the heart of Silicon Valley to truly uh, experience financial peace? Now, for us, and many of you have experienced this, but most of us live in this so long, we've forgotten that this isn't normal. The minute you come to Silicon Valley, uh, you notice that there is a pace to the valley, right? There's a pressure to the valley. Some might call it a hustle to the valley. There's a Silicon Valley hustle going on. And if you're new, you're like, oh my gosh, this place is going. And the minute you step outside of it, even if you drive to Santa Cruz, you realize it changes, And I want to talk a little bit about the Silicon Valley hustle because the reality is, is as long as we're caught up in the Silicon Valley hustle, we'll never actually be able to experience financial peace. Here's what the Silicon Valley hustle is. The Silicon Valley hustle begins this way, success at any cost. Like I got to have success. And so I'm going to climb the corporate ladder. I'm going to work really long hours. And it may come at the expense or at the cost of my family. It may come at the expense or the cost of uh, emotional well-being or my health or key relationships or my spirituality. It's success at any cost. Uh, As a result, this is kind of our motto in the valley is busyness as a badge of honor, right? We're hustling, we're going, and so how are you doing? Busy, right? And if you don't answer busy, something's wrong with you, right? You know, like, if you don't say busy, you may not be living up to your potential, and you feel like a slacker, and you have to fill every waking moment to be effective, and we wear busyness like it is this badge of honor, and so what it produces 
And what happens, or the aim and the goal, is financial freedom is the aim and the goal. We want to be financially free, which means the freedom to do, to go, and to be however I want to be. It's the freedom to do whatever you want to do whenever you want to do it. Maybe it's to retire young. Maybe it's to own a nice house. Maybe it's to drive the right car, to take all those trips financially free. Like, oh my gosh, wouldn't it be amazing to be financially free? And we get to see different people in startup world that we look at and who have made it and like, oh, to be free. Here's what's interesting. We seem to think that if we could be financially free, we'd experience financial peace. Those two are not the same. In fact, there's plenty of people who are financially free who have no peace. See, what the Silicon Valley hustle produces is simply this. Success at the expense of significance, doesn't it? At the expense of uh, what matters most and meaning and purpose and key relationships. That busyness as a badge of honor, what does it produce? Well, it produces an overworked yet underfulfilled life where you just are overwhelmed with life. And then finally, because financial freedom is the goal and the reality is, is many here are, you're making more money. The paycheck is bigger. You have more money but less peace, right? You know, it's interesting that word peace. We're talking about, you know, how do you experience or have financial peace? You know, uh, in the Bible, in, in uh, the Old Testament, the word peace is the Hebrew word shalom. It, it means not just to be absent of strife or angst. The shalom has this idea of a sense of completeness, fulfillment. Shalom has this idea uh, of a contentment and a wholeness, a well-being. Think about that. Wouldn't it be amazing, not just to have the absence of strife or angst financially, but to have this sense of wholeness, of contentment, of well-being when it comes to your finances, to feel financially at peace. You know, Jesus actually talked about money more than he talked about heaven and hell combined. He, he talked about all the time. And I want to take you to a passage where he begins to unpack financial peace. It's one of his most iconic teaching on finances and one of his most important ones. And you'll understand why in this passage, why he takes the time to talk about it so much. If you got your Bibles, would you open up to Matthew chapter 6? Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. It's in the Sermon on the Mount, and it begins this way. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and still. He's saying, If you want to experience financial peace, Stop running after the things that are so uncertain in our day and begin to, you know, orient your life towards other things. You know, this, isn't that the reason we experience so much financial anxiety is that we put our peace, we put our well-being in things that are uncertain, right? I mean, think about it. 
We put our financial peace or well-being in our 401k, and it's dependent on how the stock market's going. And man, oh, the stock market's going great. You're feeling great. And then the next day, it's not, oh, no. Or in our housing, and, you know, are we on a bubble? It's been going really great right now. I just bought a house. Is it going to go down? He says, don't put your hope, don't put your trust, don't spend your life wandering and going after things that are incredibly uncertain. No wonder we wrestle with peace in this area. Stop doing that, and then he gives us something to start. But instead, store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Begin to orient your life about, around things that are eternal, that are weighted with significance. You know, it's, it's interesting. I think one of the great seductress of the soul is external, external success at the expense of in, uh, eternal significance. And that we run after these things and run after these things and then you look up and you realize you're caught in the hustle and we find ourselves empty no matter how much is in the bank account. And then Jesus does something that's so incredible. This next line is so powerful and he begins to explain why. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Whatever you value most has your heart. Where your treasure is, your heart follows. So you may have never thought of this before, but your heart has like this invisible line connected to your bank accounts. And wherever you spend your money and time and resources, your heart naturally gravitates towards it. It's this invisible law of the universe. Said another way, wherever your money goes, there your heart follows. Whatever you give your money to, you can't help it. Your heart gets connected to it. And he's saying, be so careful and wise about what you put your hope in, what you treasure in, where you invest your money, because that is the place upon which you'll either live under financial pressure or experience financial peace. Here's what's fascinating. Jesus doesn't want your money. We don't want your money. In fact, that's one of the things I just want to say right at the beginning, because the minute we start to talk about money, there begins this wall and like, oh, the church just wants my money. We've seen God provide for us in incredible ways through the years, get to share stories. And if there's any hint of that here where you feel like, oh, he's just preaching so, you know, uh, awakening can, you know, uh, hit their budget. It's not. And what I want to invite you to through the rest of this sermon is if that's where you're at, don't give here. And I really mean it because what God has for you is so much more important. You can give to Compassion International, World Vision, other great causes like that. But just for a moment, just take a breath. And what if God really wants you to experience peace, flourishing, well-being? And what if the pathway is a lot simpler than what we thought? See, Jesus doesn't want your money, but what he does want is he wants your heart. And what he knows 
is that wherever you give your money, that has your heart. Whenever that goes, wherever your money goes, there your heart follows. So to be honest, if you don't like where your heart is, or if you want your heart connected to something, you might think about giving money in that direction. If you want to have a heart for the poor, you're like, man, I just wish my heart was more broken for the poor. Begin to give to places that serve the poor. Begin to give your time. You'll find all of a sudden you care way more about the poor. Why? Because wherever your money goes, there your heart follows. And so the pathway to financial peace is simply what we have to do in our area, in our world, is we have to reverse the order. In fact, that's the title of today's sermon, Reverse the Order. Would you say that with me? Reverse the order. Now, let's pretend like you really meant it at this moment. Um, Let's say that in one, two, three. Here's the thing. We've been caught up in the hustle of Silicon Valley, and Jesus is teaching us a new way to be human, a new way to go about life, a new way that is going to get you new results. And so we have to reverse the order. Well, what's the old order? The normative way that we go about things, the normative way that we spend our money is first, we consume what you make, right? Whatever you make, you consume it. Then you save if you can. Right, And so uh, I'll save it if I can, and then I'll give if there's any left order left over. That's the order that we live off of and we you know, uh, go about. In fact, in America, think about this. The average American lives on 110% of their income. I'm not the best mathematician, but that doesn't work. The average American buys 40% of things they cannot afford. The average American, or 60% of Americans, don't pay off their credit card debts. College students, you're not exempt. And we all know, we all know that there's such an issue with graduating with such immense uh, college student loans. However, 80% of college students graduate with credit card debt. You know why? Because on freshman orientation day and all the, there's credit card companies handing out credit cards like candy to every freshman and you don't know how to steward your money wisely and well. The normative practice, consume what you make, save if you can, give if there's any left over. Simply reverse the order. The, <laughs> listen, financial peace is simple. It doesn't mean it's easy. But here's how simple it is. When I was 10-ish, maybe a little bit younger, my parents taught me the order for financial peace. So as a 10-year-old, I could understand this. In fact, they got uh, me three jars. This is the literal jar. Yes, I had dinosaurs on it. Thank you very much. And three orders, uh, three jars, and they... They taught me the order for financial peace. It's, it's so simple. And one was give first. I had a jar that just said give, and then it had 10%. And right next to the give first in your notes, I want you to write 10%. The second jar, and this is the jar, uh, is save second. And mine has a bike. So at 10 years old, I was saving for a bike. And right next to save, write 10%. 
And then the third jar, their jars, it said spend. And ours, we're just going to say live on the rest. And right next to live on the rest, write 80%. That you give first. We've got to reverse the order. You save second. You live on the rest. You give first. You save second. You live on the rest. Say that with me. Give first. Save second. Live on the rest. That is the pathway to financial peace. It's not complicated, but it is tough, and it goes against what we are doing in our culture around us. And what we're going to spend the next few weeks is we're going to talk about each of those areas. Today, we're going to talk about giving first. Next week, we're going to talk about save and invest second. Our final week, we're going to talk about uh, living on the rest. And the interesting part, is the minute I said give first, save second, and, and I began to put some of those numbers there, right? 10%, 10%, 80%. You're like, Ryan, I cannot do that. Don't you know where we live? Didn't you just talk about the financial pressure? Friends, I get this. I'm living in the Silicon Valley on a pastor salary, not a high-tech salary. It's different, by the way. Just thought I'd let you know. It's different. A little less. Okay. And by the way, I wouldn't trade it for the world. We do this as a family. It was instilled as a young boy, and it is so powerful. I want you to get it. But we wrestle with this. I can't afford to it. Uh, be generous. And the truth is, when you understand the genius of generosity, you'll understand you can't afford not to be generous. Like your peace is at stake when you're not generous. Your happiness is at stake when you're not generous. Your overall health and well-being is at stake. You're like, Ryan, that, those are really big things to say. Well, I didn't fully say them. Jesus said something. He said, it is more blessed to, it's in your notes, you can cheat, by the way. It's more blessed to than to, huh, interesting. Circle that word blessed. There's a couple ways you can define that. One is it's more happy. It's, it's happier to be a giver. As one who loves to receive gifts, especially on Christmas as a kid, and especially expensive gifts, I love expensive high-tech gifts. I'm like, is it really happier to give than receive? I don't know. I just so enjoy gift receiving. <laughs> the other way to interpret that word is flourish. I like that one. There is a flourishing of those who are generous than those who are not, is what Jesus is saying. There's a way of life where there is that shalom, that well-being, that contentment, that wholeness that comes when we live a generous life. The proverb says it this way. One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Now, here's what's fascinating. Christian Smith and Hilary Davidson's professors at Notre Dame decided to do a research project on generosity, an extensive project. And out of it, they wrote a book 
called the paradox of generosity. This is their conclusion after doing, uh, viewing all the data points and the research. Here's what they said. If Americans want to become happier, healthier people who live with greater purpose, suffer less depression, and enjoy more personal growth, one way they might better accomplish that is to learn to be more generous. The scientific evidence shows clearly that more generous people are doing significantly better in their lives in many important ways. That is incredible that the best research today confirms what Jesus said 2,000 years ago and the Proverbs said 3,000 years ago. I don't know. Maybe God knows what he's talking about. So the pathway, the first step to financial peace is not in getting more, it's in giving more. It's not in accumulating more and somehow I have to have more in the bank account. It is a new way of looking at what you have and saying, no, no, no. how can I give it away and be more generous? And what we think and what we wrestle with is, you know what, Ryan, I really want to do that. I really want to be generous. But the reality is, is right now is tight. Right now is hard. When I make more, then I'll be generous. Right? Have you ever thought that? You ever felt that? Like, you know, I, I, I so agree with that. Okay, so when I make more, then I'll be more generous. The reality is, is the research says otherwise. That when you make more, you actually end up being less generous And if you don't develop the habit of generosity when you have little, you will not be generous when you have more. You know, uh, Christianity Today wrote an article on who were the most generous in the U.S. Like, have you thought about that? Like, who are, what are the most generous cities in the U.S.? And you would think, I mean, Silicon Valley with all the wealth here, New York, L.A., of course. The three most charitable cities in America are all in Idaho. Uh, Pocatello, Idaho Falls, and Jackson. Christians in these cities give on average $17,977 to charity annually. Surprising, Las Vegas, often called Sin City, comes in second with a rate of giving $10,410. Listen up. America's largest cities do not even make it onto the list of the top 50 most charitable cities in the U.S. and yet have the most wealth. According to nonprofit source, only 5% of church members give regularly. Households that make more than $75,000 are the least charitable. Please don't buy into when I get there, once someday I'm going to then be generous. Nationwide, Christians today give 2.5% of their income. For comparison, during the Great Depression, that number was 3.3%. Today, we as a church in America are less generous than those in the Great Depression. 
44.8% of Americans do not give anything away. 13.9% of Americans give less than 2% of their income away. Only about 2.7% give 10% of their income away. Want to know which generation is the most generous generation? 84% of millennials report to giving less than $50 to charity per annum, even though charitable giving ranks high on their priorities. The most generous generation in the $500 to $2,500 range is Gen X, and the most generous generation over $2,500 is compromised of those older than the baby boomers. The first step to financial peace is not getting more, but giving more. It's actually learning to embrace a rhythm and a habit of generosity wherever you are at with whatever you are making. So let's talk then about the rhythm of generosity. How do we embrace this rhythm of generosity? The rhythm of generosity is actually developed in the practice of the tithe. Now, you've heard it said, even Chris said it a little bit earlier, tithe and offering. And if you're new to church or just been around or maybe no one ever explained it, you're like, what in the world is a tithe? This is the practice that Christians down through the centuries and those who are uh, a part of the Jewish faith practice to begin to develop this habit, this rhythm. Because I, I would say most of us, most of us think we're generous because we can remember a time when we were generous. We're like, yeah, I remember that time when I gave that person 20 bucks. But most of us don't have a habit of generosity. And see, a rhythm, we have to begin to do systematically what we are now doing sporadically. And this is the rhythm of the tithe. So what is a tithe? Well, tithe literally means a tenth. That's the reason I gave you that 10% right at the front. And by the way, this is pretty fascinating. Uh, again, in the paradox of generosity, uh, there you go, the paradox of generosity, they note, at the very least, we can conclude that the practice of giving away 10% of one's income is associated with greater probability of being happy in life Stayed in reverse, Americans who do not give away 10% of their income run, run the significant risk of ending up less happy than they might have been otherwise. In fact, as a group, they are less happy. Hmm, flourishing, interesting. In Leviticus, this is the way God says it, a tithe, he calls for a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord, it is holy. See, tithing isn't giving, it's returning back to God what's already his. It's already his. It's not really being generous, it's just being obedient. This is what God calls us as followers of Jesus for our own flourishing. Now, that's the Old Testament. What does it mean in the New Testament? The Old Testament was percentage-based, 10%. The New Testament was pro in proportion to what you had. It was proportional. Uh, Irenaeus, the early church father, said the Jews were constrained to a regular payment of tithes. Christians who have liberty assigned all their possessions to the Lord, bestowing freely, not the lesser portions of their property, since they have the hope of greater things. It's like, God, it's all yours. All that I have. Think about this radical, instead of it's mine, God, this is all yours. And how do you want to use it? How do you want me to steward it? You know, when we began awakening, 
uh, we began uh, with the, the principle that as a church, not just as leadership, we're going to give at least 10% of what comes in outside the doors of our uh, church to serve our community around us. Now, I remember I had financial people, really nice, well-mean financial people, Christian financial people telling me, Ryan, do not do that. Don't do that. And um, I said, excuse me, why? You, you need to focus, this is a startup, you need to focus all of your funds on really growing this church and spending all, and by the way, you recognize that you have a church, a bunch of young people. I don't even know if you're going to make it financially anyways. Thank you. Okay, I love the vote of confidence. But I believe you can't outgive God and that we're just going to be obedient. And I don't ever want to ask or call people to things that I'm not personally doing and that we're not doing as a church. So we started out day one. And every year we've given at minimum, but many years much more, than 10% outside the doors of our walls. It's been incredible to see how God has provided, and we've never been in need as a church. And so when we began, we started on this campus, and we had an immediate ministry. And you've heard this said if you've been around, that Del Mar is more than a place to meet, but a people to love. For nine plus years, we have served this community in so many different ways. And here's what's amazing. The partnership that we have with the school, a teacher wrote us a letter. Now, I just want to read it to you just so that you, you get to hear it. And it's a little long, but it's definitely worth the read of getting to see the impact that God's using us as a church in our generosity. Dear Awakening Church members, I have so much to thank you for that it won't even fit in our video. They had sent us a video a while back. The bottom line is that your generosity and support for Del Mar allows us to be the caring community that we strive to be. You are an essential part of the school climate and your impacts wildly, wildly felt. Last year was hard and you were right there in step with us when we needed it the most. Curiously enough, in distance learning, we had a more intimate view of our students' home lives. We realized how much they needed and at the same time felt powerless to do much about it. Emotionally, this was very, very difficult for us as teachers. It made a huge difference to be able to call our office to provide gift cards to students who were experiencing trauma. When I learned that a student had recently become homeless, Delmar was able to provide gift cards to Target and Safeway to support their family. Those gift cards were because you gave them. They matter a lot to students, but they mean a lot also to us. It helps us to know that at least one positive thing happened in our students' home lives. Uh, this year is hard too, and your generosity continues with the food pantry, which is an amazing resource for our families. In August last year, I was the personal recipient of Awakening Church's response, uh, generosity. On the third day of school, I was evacuated from my home in the Santa Cruz Mountains due to the Lightning Complex fire, and I stayed evacuated for almost three months. The most stressful part of that whole experience was trying to simultaneously adjust to online teaching, and I admit I was not taking great care of myself. The Awakening Church sent me gift cards, and honestly, I felt the love. I felt it, this was a reminder to take care of myself and my situation, so I continued to care for my students. This year, I transitioned to a new position in Del Mar as the English Language Emergent Multilingual Student Coordinator. In my new role, I am seeing for the first time behind the scenes the impact of Awakening Church. We have enrolled many students who are new to the country, 
One of the first stops in our school tour is the community liaison, Bianca or Blanca Diaz office, where students receive backpacks and school supplies. This is a huge part of their welcome to our school and our community. And honestly, they are so grateful for these gifts uh, that they can almost not believe it. The backpacks and school supplies uh, take financial burden off the families and allow students to thrive at school and even uh, to just fit in on their first day. We could not do this without you. Last but not least, I'm very grateful for the coffee and the food that you provide to teachers on a regular basis. This is an amazing gift. I treasure the coffee mug that you purchased for us a few years ago, and every time I use it, which is often, I I keep it at school, I think that someone is caring for me. I know that sounds corny, but it's true. I'm sorry. I'm also a little dependent on coffee that you provided. <laughs> we had a lot of professional development sessions last year about caring for the caregivers and taking time for ourselves. But honestly, teachers are not really good at doing that. Awakening Church steps in and makes us stop and replenish. I've never eaten so many donuts until I began working at Del Mar. You replenish us physically and spiritually. I really can't express how much your church impacts Del Mar for the better. All of your acts of giving are so gratefully appreciated by all of us. Thank you, Michelle. That letter is because we as a church made a decision on the front end long before we knew whatever would come in that we're going to give at least 10% outside of our doors. And I, can't, I was getting choked up that I would, I would give more than that to get to read that letter again. Talk about flourishing and well-being. Tithe literally means a tenth. Why do we tithe? It trains our heart to trust God. Jesus in Luke chapter 16 would talk about money being the little thing. And as we're faithful with the little, then he entrusts us with true riches. We think of money as the big thing. God thinks of it as the little thing. And it trains our heart when we can trust him with our finances. It trains our heart that he is faithful, that you can't outgive God, that he will provide for you. I love how the apostle Paul said it. He said, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each one of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. So this needs to be not a just impulse reaction. This needs to be you have taken time and decided in your heart ahead of time, not reluctantly withholding or under compulsion. Like if there's that sense of like, I feel guilted into it, never give under that step back. For God loves a cheerful giver And then it goes on, and God is able to bless you abundantly, flourish you. Why? So that all things at all times, having all that you need, not like everything you ever wanted, all that you need, here's the goal, you'll abound in every good work. Tithing trains our heart to trust God. It reminds us that we're stewards, that all that we have, we're simply stewards, and it releases the grip of greed, of consumerism on our hearts. And so it's a tenth, it's a training, it helps begin to help us trust God. Uh, And so how are we to tithe? We've already said it today. We're to give to God first. We're to give to God first. We we start, it does not take faith to give last. The old order, consume what you have. 
Save if you can. Give if there's any left over. And chances are, if you're living on 110%, there's nothing left over. You begin to give first. I, I believe where, give to wherever you're spiritually fed first. But you just begin to give, okay, God, I'm gonna give to you first. Now, for some, by the way, 10% is way too big right at the beginning. Okay, start with 1%. Take time after this and just go, okay, God, I really wanna take a step of faith and I'm gonna decide ahead of time that I'm gonna give to you first. And so what does that look like? It's like at the beginning of the month. It's when you get your paycheck. It's when you get your tips as a server that you just go, okay, I'm gonna just set aside 10%. I mean, that's what I had here. I had the give pile and I'd just take that, you know, if I had $10, I'd add $1 right over to that bucket, The way it happens in our home, I get paid twice a month. And so I have on automatic uh, deposit, uh, I just have that pulled out automatically. My wife's in real estate. She doesn't get paid once a month. That would be amazing. Um, But she gets paid, you know, whenever she closes a a deal. And so what does she do? uh, What does she do? I speak for a living. Uh, What? Anyways, she writes a check every time she receives, you know, a a payment there. And so we're to give to God first. Proverbs says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits, not the last fruits, with the first fruits of all your crops. And now for those and many of us, because this is connected, this feels scary. You're like, I don't know about this. Here's what's incredible. This is the only place in scripture where God asks us to test him on. He so wants your good and your flourishing, and he knows it's going to be hard. He says, actually, test me on this. Would you test me? Would you try me? Notice what he says in Malachi 3.10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I'll not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Jesus says, say it this way, give and it'll be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And I've seen God show up in such significant ways in people's lives. And remember, blessing is flourishing, wholeness, well-being. I've seen God show up financially. There's a couple one time we were talking on this uh, years and years ago, and we're talking about, okay, being generous, and they're like, okay, we've never given. We feel like God is calling us to finally begin to give, but here's where we're at. We have, I think it was like $30,000 worth of medical bills. We don't know how to do that. We're not sure how we're going to pay for this. But we're going to take this step, and we're just going to start to give what we have. Here was amazing. They came back the next week. They're like, our medical bills got covered. They got to see. When you take a step of faith, you get to see a God who's faithful. Now, he doesn't always answer in that way. I've also seen couples who begin to start taking this step experience restoration in their marriage. Why? Because wherever your money goes, there your heart follows. And as they began to say together, we're going to begin to give and pursue after things of Jesus, it began to unite their hearts. God says, test me on this. I want to help you live out from financial pressure to financial peace. And actually, we have a little thing. I want to test you on this. The stewardship challenge. Would you take three months and take God to the test? 
Tithing, it says here, trains our heart to trust God. The Bible says we can test him on this. And so would you write in here, say, I or we have decided to honor God with the first and figure out that percentage. Remember, decide in your heart. You don't need to fill this out today. Take time and fill this out and go, maybe it's 1%, maybe it's 2%, maybe it's 10%. I wanna begin to give. And remember, if there's anything about awakening, give to a great organization. Just start giving. Sign it. Here's what we would love. We'd love just to partner in prayer with you. We ain't tracking anybody. I don't know what anybody gives around here, by the way. Write your name. We just want to be able to pray with you. And as you see God show up in your life, we want to celebrate with you. We'd love to hear those stories. Would you take the stewardship challenge? God says, test me on that. For some, I want to give you one other resource. Uh, My dad wrote a book called The Genius of Generosity. And for you, you want to kind of dive into this a little bit deeper? Hey, we'll give you this book. We have it in the back. Uh, and we'd love to give you this book. It's a great little, it's a short read. Look at that. You can read that, right? You can do that. I was a speed reader. I just finished it. But we would love, 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 love to give you this book to help you grow. Isn't the way that we've been doing finances not working? And aren't you tired of the pressure and the pace? What if? What if it's so simple a 10-year-old can understand it? And what if it is just as simple as beginning to give to God first, save second, and live on the rest? You know, the way we've said it at Awakening through the years is we believe the church should unleash extravagant generosity to a hurting and broken world because we have an extravagantly generous God. And that's where I want to land the plane this morning with you. Not in us giving, but in the God who gave. You know, the Apostle Paul would write to the Corinthian church and he'd say to them in the context of giving and remind him of the extravagantly generous God. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And we just want to take time and remind ourselves of the extravagant generosity of our God. Every time we stop and partake in communion, this is celebrating the God who loves you, the God who came for you, the God who said, I will take your pain. I will take the cross just so that I can be with you. The bread, Jesus would say, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And you say the the cup, it's the cup of the new covenant that no longer do you have to earn your way to God or work your way to God, but he has worked his way to you. Would you partake and do this in remembrance of me? So I want to just give you a time. We're going to continue in worship. And where we would think and go just this collective moment as a church where we just say thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your heart towards me and your sacrifice. That you'd over, be overwhelmed by his love. 
And so as we continue in worship, you can come at any time during worship forward and partake of the elements. Jesus, thank you so much for your love and your grace, your extravagant generosity that has welcomed us into the family, that has given us new life. Thank you that though you were rich, for our sake became poor, that in your poverty we might be rich. May we live in awe of who you are and what you've done. In Jesus' name. We hope you are blessed by this message. Please subscribe to our podcast for access to every episode as they're uploaded. And hey, we'd love to connect with you. Take a next step by filling out our virtual connection card at awakeningchurch.com slash card.